From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And away we go. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang your cloak and a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. The legendary Jim Mars is standing by from the Great Republic of Texas. He'll join us momentarily as we commemorate the 15th anniversary of 9-11, 15 years ago. Just staring through the glass uh, at my young technical producer, Ian Robertson, 15 years ago. Uh, how old would you have been, Ian? Um, two, maybe? I don't know. I have socks that are older than you. But do you have any recollections of 9-11? Any at all? Yeah, I was in school. <laughs> you were in, what grade? It was grade one. Grade one. Okay, yeah. so b- barely registered, probably. You yeah, knew something maybe was a little off that day, but to stay home. And you were probably sh- you were probably yeah. shielded from the the, the yeah. truth as you should have been. Yeah. Wow, it's hard to believe. Yeah, unless people are, let's say, twenty seven, maybe they they really probably have no discernible memories uh, of of uh, of nine eleven, and we'll get into that. Uh, here in a moment. Speaking of which, for those of you listening who attended my live event this afternoon, Where Did the Towers Go with uh, Dr. Judy Wood, thank you one and all for coming out. And I have to tell you, I am still coming down from the event. What can I say about Dr. Wood's presentation? Spellbinding, absolutely compelling. You know, I mentioned this in, you know, when I introduced her this afternoon. You know, She has been called a kook, a fraud, a disinfo agent. And by whom? Forget the mainstream media. Quite frankly, Dr. Judy Wood doesn't get mentioned in the mainstream media. Um, she's being called these things, by and large, by some in the 9-11 truth movement. Uh, you know, the Stephen Jones, the Alex Jones, the Richard Gages, uh, all people who I've interviewed uh, on the on the program, uh, and I have a lot of time for, uh, for all of them. Um, and um, I, I interviewed Judy Wood when her, her book came out many years ago, Where Did the Towers Go?, so I know what she's on about, and I understand, you know, she challenges the uh, official alternative, I call it the official alternative version of 9-11, which is controlled demolition and nanothermite. Um, and I was on side with that for a very long time. I have to tell you, though, the way she laid out her argument this afternoon and her PowerPoint presentation, home run, knocked it out of the park for me. And I, I said uh, this this afternoon be, before I introduced uh, Dr. Wood, uh, the 9-11 truthers, not all of them, but some, are using the same tactics against Dr. Wood that they accuse the mainstream media of using against them. So the slave has become the tyrant. And I uh, I just want to go on record. I, I think it is time. Uh, no, I don't think I know. It is time for Dr. Judy Wood uh, to get a fair hearing by the 9-11 truthers. And, and Richard Gage and Alex Jones and Stephen Jones and others... Uh, they need to actually sit down, read her book, examine her evidence, and uh, I encourage all of you who weren't at the uh, event this afternoon to start looking into Dr. Wood's work. Evidence of the of uh, directed free energy on 9-11. Uh, no, we're not talking about lasers mounted on sharks. Uh, the, uh, uh, the technology to dustify, the dustification of two 110-story buildings, uh, plus most of Building 4, uh, parts of five and six. You can uh, anyway. You can see it with your own eyes when you watch the videos of those of the buildings coming down. You can see the steel girders dissolving into dust as they descend to the ground, like 
Well, this is Dr. Judy Wood's description, I think is very apt. They look like Elka-Seltzer tablets in a glass of water. And when you look at it, it finally it, 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 it dawned on me, my God, that's true. Uh, anyway, so you missed today's event. Not to worry. Just keep checking the live events page at strangeplanet.ca because coming up uh, next on October the 15th, and uh, young Ian Robertson, you young rockabilly, uh, you'll be interested in this. Take a walk on the dark side. Rock and roll myths, legends, and curses with uh, R. Gary Patterson and special Skype appearances by Leo Lyons from 10 Years After, Peggy Sue Guerin, the muse of Buddy Holly, and uh, Bill Harry, friend of John Lennon and Paul McCartney, publisher of Mercy Beat Magazine, they'll be joining us on Skype, L.A. or um, uh, R. Gary Patterson, live on stage. That's Take a Walk on the Dark Side, Saturday, October the 15th, 4 to 8 p.m., J.J.R. McLeod Auditorium here in Toronto. Uh, go to strangeplanet.ca and uh, the live events page for more information and to order tickets. All right. Um, so I mentioned uh, Ian uh, twisting the uh, knobs and dials. Albert is here, remote viewer, story producer. Albert is running our HOA, our Hangout on Air. And if you want to stream this radio program on YouTube, here's what you need to do. Go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett. Go to the top of the feed or near the top of the feed. Find the link with the HOA in it and just click on that or find the tweet with the HOA link. Click on that and you're in. Um very quickly, next week on the program, The Secret Life of Howard Hughes, uh, plus a special tribute to late-night radio legend, the late Earl Bruce Knapp, host of a, a wildly a wildly popular late-night radio program here in southern Ontario called Strange Days Indeed, and uh, which was primarily a UFO show. Victor Vigiani will be here with me to pay tribute. All right, for the next uh, 40 minutes or so, we're going to discuss, uh, as I mentioned earlier, 9-11, what else, on the 15th anniversary. And here to help us uh, do it uh, really is, uh, I, uh, as I mentioned earlier, he's, you know, the pantheon of, of researchers in this field, and he's in, he's at the top of the pantheon as far, as far as I'm concerned. Jim Mars is a native of Fort Worth, Texas. He earned a Bachelor of Arts degree in journalism from the University of North Texas in 1966. Did I say that out loud? And attended graduate school at Texas Tech in Lubbock, speaking of Buddy Holly, Lubbock, Texas, for two years. Years more, he's worked for several Texas newspapers, including the Fort Worth Star Telegram, the Fort Worth Star Telegram, and uh, served as a police reporter, general assignment reporter. Uh, moving ahead, 2007, he retired from the University of Texas at Arlington, where he had taught a course on the Kennedy assassination since 1976, and of course, his 18, 1989 book Crossfire. The Plot That Killed Kennedy was published to critical acclaim, reached the New York Times paperback nonfiction bestseller list, and it became, became a basis for the Oliver Stone film JFK. He served as a chief consultant for both the film's screenplay and the production. Uh, other notable works, of course, Alien Agenda, Rule by Secrecy, The War on Freedom, The Terror Conspiracy, Above Top Secret, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, one of my favorites. And uh, we should mention that his um, a book, which just came out um, a short time ago, Population Control, How Corporate Owners Are Killing Us, has just been released as, uh, as soft cover. Uh, Jim Mars, welcome. How are you, my friend? Hey, Richard. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Likewise. All right. Here we are, uh, 15 years on. And I mentioned, you know, there's um, the uh, the 9-11, uh, those of us, you know, that, that are still concerned about it, most of us, but it's kind of divided into a number of camps. There's the 
the uh, the nanothermite, the controlled demolition camp. There's there are those who who steadfastly cling to the official version. Two planes slammed into the twin towers. Uh, Fifteen years on, I mean, how uh, have, has your position okay. moved? All right, are you ready? Are you ready for the answer? I am. The answer is yes. All of the above. <laughs> All right. So this is, this is why, Richard. I don't understand why that the. Uh, I mean, we're having trouble enough getting the uh, great unwashed masses out there to understand that two aircraft cannot bring down three buildings. Okay, and they and you go and they go what. And you go, yeah, Building 7, the Solomon Brothers building, you know, it collapsed at 5.30 on the afternoon of September the 11th, 2001. And uh, it was not hit by airplanes. And they go, what? Because a lot of people, I mean a lot of people, are still unaware that three buildings went down in New York. So we have problems enough right there without squabbling amongst ourselves over, was it thermite, was it nanothermite, was it conventional cutters, was it nukes, was it particle beam weapons, energy-directed weapons? Because the answer is yes. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'm pretty convinced, Richard, that they used a combination of exotic technology, much of which is not known to the public, which is what allowed them to pull off the 9-11 attack, the 9-11 terrorist operation, and uh, get away with it. Because uh, not only were they using nanothermite, which is not generally known except to the building demolition experts, um, they were also using um, small uh, shape-charged nukes. And if people think, well, that's impossible, because, see, most people think of a nuclear bomb, they think of that picture of Little Boy that we dropped on Hiroshima, and it was, you know, this great, big, huge, fat-looking bomb. Right. But uh, I recall when I was a kid in the 50s, uh, seeing newsreels where they were shooting atomic artillery shells. They had a big old cannon they called the Long Tom, and they would fire that cannon, and then 10 miles downrange, they would, there would be a small tactical nuclear explosion. So they had uh, nukes the size of artillery shells, which is what, maybe two or three foot long, and uh, oh, a foot or two around. Okay, that was in the 50s. So the idea that today they have many nukes that uh, are about the size of a small basketball or maybe an enlarged baseball or softball, you know, that, that they have those. This is the current technology. We just, the popular, the uh, public is not popularly aware of that, Okay. So you put this, you put these mini nukes in the basement where there is plenty of testimony that there were explosions in the basements of the World Trade Center towers. Okay, um, the uh, I believe it was uh, uh, Mike Picararo who said that he went up uh, uh, up through the basements after being knocked down by an explosion. That was a janitor, right? Yes, and uh, went to a machine shop, and there was a huge drill press that had been just disintegrated. Okay, now you take those mini uh, nukes, you put them in the basement with a shape charge. They take out those forty-seven steel girders that are the spindle, the the 
property that hold up those buildings. This would allow them to come down. Then you use your thermite to take care of all of the support uh, beams, and then you use your conventional cutter charges to take care of the rest, and the whole thing would just totally collapse uh, because there is no, uh, there's nothing holding up the weight. Now, this is what happens, okay? But now, also, you have to ask yourself, what about the toilets? <laughs> Let's talk toilets for a minute. There weren't any. Have you any. ever tried there weren't to any. destroy a toilet? Exactly. You know, you can beat on it, you can smash it to pieces, you can kick it all around, but it's not easy to destroy a toilet. And think how many toilets were in this 110-story building. Think how many metal filing cabinets were mm. in that building. The telephones. What happened? Did you ever to all see a telephone? That? No. No. Now you got a hundred and ten story building and, and it got hit by a plane, it caught fire and it collapsed. That's what we're told. It should have left a debris pile of more than ten stories. Mm -hmm. And yet all we saw was less than two stories and it was just a few desultory ruins and debris. What happened to all of the mass of those buildings. Obviously, there was something else going on, and uh, I don't think we should rule out Judy Wood or others who talk about um, a directed energy weapon, because I know we're working on that. In fact, Richard, I'm going to cut you in on Liz's secret, you and your uh, listeners. Hold on to that secret, Jim. Hold on to that secret. We'll take a time out. We'll come back. Jim Mars, Rule by Secrecy, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, Alien Agenda, The Terror Conspiracy, Above Talk Secret, Crossfire, The Plot That Killed Kennedy, and now available in paperback, Population Control, How Corporate Owners Are Killing Us. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. So delighted to have Jim Mars with us. And who else? Uh, as we commemorate the uh, the 15th anniversary of uh, the 9-11 attacks. And again, just a reminder, Population Control, How Corporate Owners Are Killing Us, uh, now available in soft cover. And uh, actually, I think that was the last time you came uh, to Toronto, Jim. Uh, you, your presentation had everything to do with uh, population control. Um, That's correct. Now... That's why I think this may be one of my more important books. Uh, reading about Kennedy assassination, reading about plots and conspiracies and uh, the rise of the Fourth Reich, the way that the Nazis were brought in over to North America and rolled into our government and our military industrial complex. These are all really, really interesting, important stories. But, you know, uh, population control, this, this gets beyond politics. It gets beyond philosophies. Uh, we're talking self-defense if you want to protect yourself and your family and your loved ones you better find out what they're doing to you what they're putting in your food what they're putting in your water what they're spraying in your air uh, what they're putting in your vaccines and you better learn what what they're doing so you can protect yourself uh, indeed and um, before the break you were about to let us in on a big secret we were talking uh, first of all, we were, you were sort of itemizing all those things that should have been found in a debris, uh, a pile when a building collapses, like toilets, like filing cabinets, like telephones. Mm -hmm. Naria 1 was found. 
which right. tends to, uh, you know, which to so me is is evidence of a dire- of, of some sort of directed uh, energy. Right. right. Something disappeared them. Okay. Yes. Now, what is it? Okay, Judy Wood actually makes, and I've met her and talked with her, interviewed her, and she makes a, a very cogent argument uh, for a some sort of a um, energy weapon. Uh, the place where I think she's theorizing and, and may have caused her some trouble is because she, as I recall, she was saying that she thought it may have come from a space-based weapon, from a satellite. Okay? I, without going into a long song and dance, I have very good reason to believe that a particle beam disintegrator-type weapon was being developed at... Uh, at uh, Brookhaven National Laboratory on Long Island, in the center of the island there. Okay? In 1989, this weapon was tested and used to bring down a UFO. Uh, in 1992, it was tested again and brought down a UFO that crashed in South Haven Park and, cr- and caused a huge big fire there that actually made national news. But, of course, they didn't mention the UFO. They just said it was a big fire. Uh, in 1996, I believe, it, this same weapon was tested uh, 65 miles out uh, southeast of Long Island uh, at a test area designated Tango Billy. And it was a military exercise where they shot a missile at a drone aircraft. And the purpose of the test, of course, what they've been trying to do for years, see if they could stop a missile in flight. And so they fired the missile at the drone, and the disintegrator beam, the particle beam accelerator from Brookhaven, was used to see if they could stop that missile. Unfortunately, the TWA-800, which had had a minor minor malfunction and was late taking off, climbed into the trajectory of this beam weapon and was knocked down in friendly fire. That was the TWA-800. And, of course, they couldn't admit to what happened there because that was our most top-secret weapons testing. Okay, But everybody with the TWA told the truth. People who said there was a missile, there was. People who saw a drone aircraft or a mystery aircraft, there it was. People who saw a light in the sky, that was the beam weapon. So everybody, even the government told the truth to a limited degree. They said a spark got in a central fuel tank and uh, blew up the airplane, which is true. But why did the spark get in a central fuel tank? And it's because the beam weapon hit the aircraft and fried the onboard computers, and everything was sparking and flashing, and valves were opening and closing, and that's how the spark got in the fuel tank. Now, that was the TW-800. Now, if they could use that as an disintegrator beam and they could use it uh, at a target 65 miles to the southeast, all I, su- I suggest all they had to do was turn that weapon a little further south and it's only 25 miles to the World Trade Center buildings. And I think that was what was used to spray those buildings and disintegrate. You, you mentioned yourself uh Richard, the fact that there are films showing steel girders that do not fall over, they simply disintegrate in midair. Dustification is what she calls it. Yeah, like a like an Elka Seltzer tablet in a glass of water. Yep. And it just it just it just blows 
blows away. It disintegrates. And that's why. So what happened on 9-11 is they were using exotic technology only known in the inner circles of the military-industrial complex, and therefore they could come out with any screwy uh, cover story, uh, something along the lines of the single bullet theory, and nobody was in a position to say, well, no, that's not right, because here's what it was, because we didn't know. And I'll tell you another thing that was an exotic technology was not known at the time that was used on 9-11 that's very important to understand how that happened. And that is the remote computer capture of onboard uh, flight computers on aircraft. All right, tell me more. In the 1980s, I was uh, interviewing a pilot for a commercial airliner. And uh, after the interview, we were just talking, and he said, you know, my job's redundant. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, the, these new planes, these new wide-bodied Boeing jets, said uh, they, they're, they're fly-by-wire. They're fly-by-computer. Mm-hmm. You know, the computer flies the airplane. He said, I'm just there in case the computer breaks. And so I'm going, wow. You know, so I did some study. Well, come to find out this is true. Now, here's a bad analogy, but if you're using a CB radio and you're talking to somebody and I come along uh, and I have a much stronger CB signal than you, then that's what they call I step on you, okay? Right, right. The person listening is going to hear me. They're not going to hear you because my signal is stronger. They can take stronger signals, and they can intercept an airplane's computer, and they can enter that computer, take over the computer. In fact, uh, in my book, The Terror Conspiracy Revisited, I quote uh, the head of British Airways, who in early 2001 said, you know, the era of of, uh, airline hijacking is over with. He said, because now we can capture the onboard computer remotely and we can guide the aircraft to a safe landing regardless of the desires of the hijackers or even the flight crew. This is amazing, uh, Jim, that you're bringing this up now because I I wanted to mention this because after the event today, uh, uh, Patrick and Kadena from Conspiracy Culture and, and Judy and I, we went to dinner and Judy has had a conversation with someone in... Um, uh, a pilot, I believe it was, saying the the exact same thing. I remember too. She she brought up back in the seventies. It almost became a cliche. It was every week there was a plane being hijacked and diverted to Cuba. Yeah. Uh, and and she went back and she said in 1974 there were 50 planes hijacked and diverted to places like Cuba. Then all of a sudden, at some point, late seventies, early eighties, it stopped. And what you're talking about, that's the reason. That's they, the reason. Standard equipment on Boeing uh, uh, aircraft, pilot what, punches in a code, and uh, he hears someone pounding on the door, let us in, we're taking over. He punches in that code, or she punches in that code, and now the control of the airplane goes to the tower. That's right. There's and nothing a hijacker can do. can control that airplane. You cannot hijack a modern air, uh, airplane. That's true. By the way, and then to add insult to injury, uh, pilots uh, for 9-11 Truth managed to get hold of some of the black box recordings on the flight that uh, uh, that they said hit the Pentagon. And what they found was in all the parameters there that the uh, flight uh, deck door 
had not been opened during flight. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> if the flight deck door hadn't been opened, how did the how did Honey Honjor get in the cockpit and guide that plane to the Pentagon? Exactly. Of course, of course the ball face fact is is that no plane hit the Pentagon. There were 82 sort of security cameras all on and around the Pentagon. And that afternoon, before the afternoon, before the sun went down, the FBI had grabbed all of that, and we have never seen any of it. Well, we saw one sort of very fragmented video. I don't know if it 16, came from a from, 15 frames. Yeah, from a shell station or something across the road. Right. And what I love is I remember watching Bill O'Reilly, and for two or three days he was saying, "We now have the film of the plane hitting the Pentagon, and we'll put to rest all of these crazy conspiracy theories, and we're going to show." that tomorrow night or whatever and and then they actually ran those 16 frames and then bill o'reilly himself said i didn't see a plane <laughs> good for him good for him the other uh, don't. while you we're talking see a plane uh, also let me mention this richard you know as well as i do after every major air disaster they come along and they pick up every single little piece of that aircraft that they can find and they take it to a big hangar and they reassemble it, okay? Right. So that they can try to determine what exactly caused that crash so we can prevent future occurrences. Show me a picture of the debris of uh, that flight that they said hit the Pentagon put together in a hangar, and I will shut up about the Pentagon. But you haven't seen it, and you're not going to see it because there was no plane involved. Well, we all remember, and many of us remember, uh, at least while it was available, and I, it may still be online, I'm not sure. I'm talking about the CNN reporter, Jamie McIntyre, who was on the scene right, uh, and mm-hmm. said there is no evidence. This Again, you always pay attention to the early reports. I learned this from you years ago, Jim. You, you pay attention to those early reports because then they disappear. You'll never hear again, hear right. from them again. Jamie McIntyre on the scene saying no, re- no evidence of a plane crash hitting a building here. And uh, we saw the footage, and again, out on the uh, the front lawn there, the Pentagon, no debris, no debris. No. So what happened? Did, did some except some except for Donald Rumsfeld running along with a little bitty piece he's holding in his hand, and of course, I always wonder, you know, did he pick it up or was he putting it down? <laughs> right. So what what happened there? Did a, some Hercules transport plane come by and and drop this stuff on the front lawn? Oh, they they had a they had a few pieces ready to go, you know. This uh, uh, it, it, this was actually a, a very well planned operation. Unfortunately, it didn't come off exactly as they wanted it to. Uh, I think something happened. Uh, the plane went down in Pennsylvania. I think that plane was the one that was uh, supposed to hit uh, uh, Building Seven, and so that didn't happen. So at 5:30 that afternoon, suddenly they decided, well, we 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 got to get rid of the evidence because that's where their command center was. So they dropped Building Seven. That's after, and I have seen the films, newsreels of the firemen coming down the street, going, "Get back, get back!" The building's coming down. How did they know it's coming down? There was only a few desultory fires in a few of the in a couple of the uh, floors, not enough to bring down a building. That building came down straight down in its own footprint in a matter of seconds, free fall speed. 
The only way that can happen is with pre-planned demolition. And if Building 7 was brought down by demolition, as stated by Larry Silverstein, he said, we decided to pull it, so we pulled it. Okay? And if that was brought down by controlled demolition, then why is it so outrageous to claim that the World Trade Centers were brought down by controlled demolition? Uh we're going to head into a break here shortly. Let me ask you the question now, and we'll get into the conversation, continue it afterwards. And, and that has to do with the uh, the 28 pages that were finally released this, I think it was uh, July 20th, heavily redacted. Uh, these were from the first 9-11 commission. This was the one chaired by uh, Florida Senator Bob Graham, and the one nobody remembers or pays attention to for some reason. Uh, and he, he tried to subpoena – he had a crack team of investigators – they tried to subpoena all these FBI field agents. They were stonewalled at every turn. They were told, no, you can't interview this person. You can't interview that person. Um, what, what do you make of the uh, – and the, the media reports are in those 28 pages. Oh, no smoking gun here. What, what is your take on, the, on those 28 pages? Anything of use there? No, no. It's all been redacted and it's all been classified. It's all been it, – it's – the whole thing is – it. What people don't understand is when you talk about a conspiracy, if it's a conspiracy, a low-level conspiracy, if it's a few thugs or a criminal gang, and you have honest cops and honest FBI and honest, you know, federal marshals, they they investigate and they can find out the truth of all this stuff. This was controlled at the very top, at the very top. And that's why, by the way, this explains why you have people who had absolutely no direct contact with 9-11, but they were experts in architecture. Uh, they were experts in building construction, building demolition. Uh, a lot of them are connected to universities who uh, are dependent upon government grants. They're dependent upon government contracts. They are all closely tied to the government. And when it happens and they look at it and they said, this stinks, but then they realize that the power is at the top, and they don't want to lose their jobs, they don't want to lose their contracts, they don't want to lose their government grants, and as a result, this explains why there has been such a resounding silence from people who know better. They know what happened, but they know they better not say anything about it. Yes, especially when there's tenure on the line. All right, uh, Jim Morris stays with us. We'll take a time out, come back, and continue to talk about uh, 9-11, the 15th anniversary. And I want to sort of circle back to the uh, uh, the uh, particle beam in Brookhaven. Um, some pretty remarkable things you said there, Jim. We, we have to revisit that as well. I'm back with more. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarin. Jim Mars stays with us till the top of the hour, uh, talking about the 15th anniversary of uh, 9-11. And uh, we should also mention, once again, Population Control. His book that just came out, what, a year and a half, two years ago, now available in soft cover. And um, I want to go back to... Uh, the um, evidence for particle beam, uh, a weapon or some sort of advanced exotic technology that was used in 9-11. And you mentioned this installation in Brookhaven uh, on Long Island. And um, first of all, how did you piece this all together? You talked about the fact that it was used to bring down uh, a UFO. Uh, uh, and um, I mean, how did you piece that together, Jim? Well, that's uh, been o- over a long period of time. Uh, going back to the... Um <clears throat> 
late 80s, uh, with the success of Crossfire, uh, I asked people all across the country, I said, what do you think's the next big, deep, dark, secret government cover-up? And almost unanimously, from cab drivers to publishers, they said, well, we'd like to know what's the truth about UFOs. So I began to delve back into the UFO issue. I'd been interested in UFOs since a kid in the 50s. Uh, I had written about it in the 60s uh, and in uh, at the uh, newspaper I worked for. I'd interviewed uh, J. Allen Hynek and um, uh, various sundry other people connected to the space program and to uh, ufology. And uh, when I got back into it, I got a newsletter from um, up in the Midwest from a fellow who's dead now. But he was a really intrepid investigator. And he was talking about a UFO shootdown that took place in, I want to say, 1989 in Mauritius Bay, uh, which is up in on Long Island. And he said that they had used a, uh, I think he said, a particle beam weapon. Uh, and he said it was being developed at Brookhaven. And he had an interview. He interviewed one of the uh, scientists that were working on this weapon. Uh, so that caught my attention, and I kept up with that. In fact, there's a whole story there. There's a fellow, by, I think his name was John Ford, who began to investigate that and began to put out a lot of material about this was they were using this and they were shooting down these UFOs. Next thing you know, the feds raided him. The FBI were all over him. They said he was a nut and a kook, and they put they put him away. Okay, so um, uh, as far as I know, he's still in jail somewhere. Uh, as far as I could tell, for for trying to tell the truth. But again, you have to understand that they have to keep all this secret because, number one, the the uh, fact that UFOs being piloted by non-humans are traveling in our skies, have been visiting the Earth for millennia. Okay, this is one of the biggest secrets that they're still holding on to uh, because, and the main reason is because they view this exotic technology, they want it for themselves. They want to use it and weaponize it. So this would fall into the category of potential new weaponry, so they have to keep it quiet. And again, this comes back, and then in uh, uh, 1992, I believe it was, you can go Google it, find out about the big fire in South Haven Park. Um, and uh, I had gotten word again through this same source that that, again, had been an instance of where they'd shot down a UFO and it crashed in the park and started a big fire. Uh, at the time of the TWA uh, 800 crash, and I was investigating that along with Christina Borgeson of uh, CBS, uh, who had been assigned to find out what happened to the TWA 800, and we did, and she got fired, <laughs> and that story never came out because, again, it involved the uh, beam weapon, okay? But uh, we were on Long Island one time and heading back to New York. It was late in the evening, and I saw a sign for South Haven Park. And I remembered the story about the UFO uh, that was shot down in South Haven in '92, uh, And I said, pull in the park here. Let me see. I said, let's... Let's drive around, and I said, you know, if if that happened, 
you know, there'll be fire damage and we'll see maybe the tops of trees missing and maybe I can find out for sure if that happened uh, and where it happened. But So when we pulled in the park, though, there was a little uh, park headquarters, I guess, a little building with a car out front, a ranger, park ranger. And I said, well, wait a minute, let's stop here. I said, why drive all around not knowing where we're going? Let me just see what I can find out here. So I went in, and the park ranger was in there. And, uh, of course, I didn't want to front load him. I didn't want to tell him I'm looking for a UFO. I just said, hey, I'm a reporter. I'm from Texas. And I said, I just have to be coming by here. And I said, hey, I remember you all had a big fire here back about 92. And he went, yeah. I said, hey, did you all ever figure out what caused that? What's going on there, you know? And he looked at me <laughs> very suspiciously, and he said, you want to know about the UFO, don't you? Mm. And I said, yes, I do. He said, well, I'd like to tell you, he said, because I was on duty that night, and I know all about it. He said, but I can't tell you about it. And I said, why not? He said, I've been threatened, and I, I could lose my pension. So I said, well, I don't want you to do that. So uh, I said, what, what about, was there anybody else here? And he said, yeah, I had a partner on that night. said, he doesn't work here anymore. I said, well, you know, would he be willing to talk with me? And he said, well, let me check. And he goes off in another room, and he gets on the telephone. I hear him talking to somebody. He comes back. He said, no. He said he doesn't want to get involved, and he doesn't want to talk to you. So that was pretty much the end of that. But as far as I was concerned, that confirmed to me that there was a UFO brought down in South Haven Park. All right. And uh, uh, that, again, supports the idea of the beam weapon that was being developed there at Brookhaven. And uh, they're using them on uh, uh, alien craft, and, they're, and then they're turning around and, and using on them on us, apparently. We'll take a time out when we come back, uh, Jim. Uh, let's talk about, uh, I know you're anxious to talk about the possibility of an alien attack a la Battlefield Earth. Uh, we can talk about that. And then if time permits and if you're game, maybe just dip into the uh, the, the, the U.S. presidential uh, election. Not sure if you're game for that, but we'll find out. Don't want to put you on the spot. Uh, but interesting report coming out of CNN now. Sanjay Gupta, the uh, health reporter, uh, is saying it's time for Hillary to see a doctor. The question is, is he going to be fired just like Dr. Drew? Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Jim Morris stays with us till the top of the hour. Population control, how corporate owners are killing us. Just released in soft cover, Amazon.com, I'm assuming, Jim. Yes, in fact, it's just now been released. Uh, you know, uh, here's one of my big gripes. Uh, you go to Amazon, you look up my book, Population Control, and you're going to find several uh, people who've downgraded it. They give me a one-star or a two-star. What? And when I read those, uh, it's amazing because they're not commenting on the content of the book. The, the All the five stars, four stars, and five stars, they all comment on the book. The people who had cut it down were the people who thought that the cover price was too much. <laughs> and you know what, Richard, in a way, I, I, I tend to agree. Maybe it is too much, but they got to understand the author does not set the price of the book. The publisher sets the price of the book. So if their complaint is with the cost of the book, it's with the publisher. Don't go on Amazon and downgrade my book because you think the price is too high. <laughs> Excellent point. Excellent point. 
And yes, you mentioned Battlefield Earth. You know, we've got um, L. Ron Hubbard was, uh, before he ever got into Scientology, was really quite a prolific science fiction writer. In fact, actually wrote a lot of things. He wrote westerns and he wrote thrillers and he wrote detective stories. Uh, and he was right up there with some of the giants in science fiction. I mean, Arthur C. Clarke and Ray Bradbury and uh, Isaac Asimov. And he wrote Battlefield Earth, and and it's still it's still worth going to to, to find because it was about uh, three thousand years in the future, and the Earth has been under the subjugation of an alien race. But unlike some of the more recent uh, forays into that kind of fiction, like uh, Independence Day or right. whatever, where they come and they blow up the White House and they blow up the cities and they're trying to kill everybody. In Battlefield Earth, it's the uh, it's the intergalactic bankers who bankroll the intergalactic mining company, and, and so that they can afford to buy the mining rights to Earth, so they can come and strip the Earth of of its mineral resources. And of course, the pesky humans are kind of in the way, so, so they're you know relegated. Uh, uh, down to just a handful and hiding out in the hinterlands. And, but it's a wonderful, wonderful story about how that a bunch of downtrodden earth people can get together and can mount a counteroffensive and win back the earth, uh, you know, for the human race. Um, and so it's as valid now as when it was first written. Plus they've got it in a new, um, audio version that is mind-blowing because they've got like i don't know more than a hundred actors they've got a hundred fifty thousand sound effects they've got a musical soundtrack it's uh it's all told it's like 47 hours wow uh, but you see stuff. is that how you, you know, see if you're commuting you could be you could be listening to this for the next year sure you know? but it's, is that how you see it breaking out, Jim? Do you, is that how you see an alien invasion sort of along those lines that we're going to be enslaved and, and uh, it's all about, you know, mining the, the minerals and so forth here yeah, on, on Earth? Yeah, they don't care about us. They, what they want is all the resources of the planet, water, minerals, uranium, gold, silver, you know, whatever. So, uh, uh, and the thing is, it would be... Uh, it would be counterproductive and expensive to try to invade another planet and occupy it, you know. But if you can figure out a way to decimate the population covertly so that they don't know what's happening to them, and when I say this, I'm thinking concurrently that, uh, and you're probably well aware of this, Richard, that the male sperm count has yes. been dropping yes. all around the world. It's true. Okay? It's true. And that, uh, and that we have so many things working against us right now. They're chemtrailing. We don't even know for sure what that's about because they won't even admit they're doing it. But we know it's got heavy metals. It's got barium, aluminum oxide, strontium that they're dropping on us. Um, we have these ailments today like fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome and things like that that I never even heard about when I was a kid, you know? Right, EMF. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, of course, the food we're eating, uh, at the rate we're going, uh, within just a few years, probably 
three-quarters of the population in the United States is going to be obese, okay? Obese but undernourished, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, exactly. Because we're eating processed food, and it's got a lot of salt in it and a lot of sugar in it, so it tastes great, but there's no nutrition. And that's why people are getting sicker and sicker and sicker, and that's why uh, you go ask anybody in the job opportunities uh, business, and they're going to tell you, Get into medicine. Get into medicine. You know, be a medical therapist. Be a, you know, if you're not going to be a doctor, be a nurse. It's recession-proof, for sure. Medical technician, because everywhere you go, everything, we're now turning into half the country is going to be treating the other half of the country. Well, it's interesting, you know, uh, I've I've read studies where where people, I mean, we're living longer, but we're not living uh, better. People are losing their independence at younger ages, and you you see people in homes you know, in their in their in their early seventies, when they should be vibrant and out gardening and enjoying their their golden years. Right, exactly. Uh, and yet, and yet, they're in poor uh, poor health and and getting poor and lingering, lingering, malingering. Yeah. Yes, it's terrible to see. Uh, yeah. Just a few minutes left. I I don't want to put you on the spot, Jim, but I, I mean, it's just great theater. Uh, the the presidential uh, campaign. <laughs> um, so so we get to vote for. Joseph Stalin or Adolf Hitler? <laughs> Which one are we going to vote for? Oh dear. Um, what do you make though? The I mean, it's the 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 the, the divide is is stark uh, with you know the mainstream media uh, media uh, and almost covering well not almost just covering for Hillary uh, anyone who questions her health labeled a, a healther a conspiracy theorist. Uh, what do you take? Do you, what do you make of, well, of I, that? I've looked into that quite seriously. I've checked with some doctor friends of mine, and I've looked uh, at some of the things that's been posted, and then used my own common sense and looked at, you know, these these things where she's doing these uh, very odd things, being helped up the state. I think she's in advanced stages of Parkinson, and I don't think she is health wise competent to be president. And what worries me is the fact that they're propping her up, carrying her around, making, and you know, she's not holding press conferences because she can't handle, you know, if she, uh, she would have an episode if uh, she was put in front of reporters and they all started shouting questions at her. Uh, and I think it would become painfully obvious that she is physically not fit to be president. But what are they going to do? What are they going to do? Are we, are they going to keep covering for her and we're going to elect somebody who cannot serve? And then we get Kim, okay, who is pro-Muslim. And then we'll have a Muslim head of Homeland Security, a Muslim head of the Justice Department, and then we'll have a president who's overtly Muslim, unlike the current covert one. And, uh, where are we then? Uh, no, the, the real issues are not even being talked about. And I don't really look to uh, Donald Trump as being the white knight on the on the white horse. I, I, I'm not sure he's the guy, uh, you know. But I will say this: number one, I, from everything I know about Donald Trump, I have never heard even a whisper that he would have someone murdered, that he would put a contract out on somebody. Okay, that's more than you can say for the Clintons. All right, and then by the same thing, when I look at Trump. He is not, here's what people don't quite understand. 
He is not a Democrat. He's not really a Republican. He's not a liberal. He is not a conservative. He is a pragmatist, okay? He is an entrepreneur and a pragmatic one at that. He sees a problem and he says, okay, what are we going to do to solve this? And he solves it, you know? And I'm not sure, but maybe, just maybe, that's what we really need. He is a disruptor like we've not, we've not seen in a 100 years. Which God knows we need. Perhaps. He, hey, we, I, I, Einstein said... The very definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. Well, we keep voting for the Republican, we keep voting for the Democrat, and nothing changes. So maybe we need to do something different. Well, here's the, you, you mentioned you know he's not a Republican, he's not a Democrat. Who would thought? Who would have thought we would have the Republican nominee who's actually running to the left of Hillary when it comes to issues like trade and war? He's running to the left of her because, I mean, he is, he's talking about no more nation building, no more, you know, foreign misadventures. We're not going to go in and topple governments anymore. He, he's saying what Bernie Sanders should have said. If Bernie Sanders had, had gotten a bit between his teeth and had addressed those same issues along the same lines that Trump has, he might have got the Democratic National Convention, but then, uh, nomination, but then that wasn't the plan. He was just in there as a foible, you know, to to allow Hillary to get right in. Well, I, I hear the uh, the grandfather clock is telling you it's it's bedtime, Jim. So we're <laughs> <laughs> that's, right. that's right. Time for my meds. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, listen, it's always such a pleasure uh, speaking with you. Got to get you back up here to Toronto, you and um, always love having you. And um, again, let's remind people: population control, how corporate owners owners are killing us. Uh, now available in uh, soft cover, and uh, and read Battlefield Earth. It's a great read. Indeed. All right, Jim. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Jim Mars, always a pleasure. Um, I, I mentioned the um, the report now that uh, Sanya uh, Sanjay Gupta, who is uh, the CNN's health reporter, specialist, a correspondent, if you will, was uh, on uh, with Wolf Blitzer. And um, sort of breaking ranks now, uh, because the mainstream media, as I see it, has created this firewall uh, around uh, uh, Hillary and will not allow anyone to discuss her health. And, well, Sanjay Gupta has now done that. He has said before she gets on a plane tomorrow, because she's scheduled to fly out west uh, for some yet some more fundraising. <laughs> uh, she spends a lot of time fundraising. Uh, she, so before she gets on that plane, Sanjay Gupta says she needs to see a doctor. She needs to have a proper exam. A wh- I mean, can you imagine uh, the trouble he could find himself in? I mean, Dr. Drew got fired for suggesting the same thing. So this is getting real interesting, folks. Hold on to your hats. All right. Uh, my website is strangeplanet.ca. That's your portal to uh, all of my projects, radio, like this program, TV, live events. Please check it out and take a moment. Uh, on the radio page to uh, click on that blue member button, become a member, and it's cheap, it's free. It doesn't get any cheaper than that. Uh, and it's easy and fast and uh, gains you access to all sorts of member-only areas. Please say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. And as always, follow the truth. 